Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, March 4th. I'm Carolina Sarasa, and these are today's headlines. In Washington, officials on high alert after intel indicates the possibility of an attack on the U.S. Capitol building by far-right militias and supporters of former President Trump. Meanwhile, the fallout continuing over the lifting of the mask mandate in Texas, and Dr. Anthony Fauci gives new insights into vaccinations for teenagers and young children. And along the border, a troubling rise in the number of migrants trying to cross into the U.S., as a new report outlines potentially illegal treatment of underage migrants. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We began on Capitol Hill, security officials on high alert over fears of a possible militia plot to storm the U.S. Capitol building just two months after Trump supporter attacked the building. Edwin PT is outside the Capitol with the details. Edwin, can you describe the scene for us? That's right, Carolina. How are you? I can tell you that there is a lot of concern of possible violence here on Capitol Hill, and that's thanks to a report published by the Department of Homeland Security and also the FBI. But I'd like to show you the situation right now here, right outside the Capitol, because according to the intelligence officials, have alerted lawmakers to a potential threat against the Capitol today because the information is saying that QAnon conspiracy theorists believe former President Donald Trump will be inaugurated and retake the presidency today, March 4th. Of course, we know that's not going to happen, but the security is being enhanced as a precaution. As you can see, there are new 10-foot-high fences with razor wire on the top and also 5,000 members of the National Guard that were scheduled to remain here until mid-March for security. But now the U.S. Capitol has requested for them to stay here 60 days extra. The Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, was asked about what she thought of that, and this is what she had to say. The issue about the National Guard is one uh, that will be made uh, by the, uh, the Capitol Police and the police board and the rest Uh, but I'm not a, a, in a position to respond to that. But we should have them here as long as they are needed. And the silliness of this being Inauguration Day and that in May the president will be uh, inaugurated is falls into the realm of uh, let's not waste our time on it. Carolina, just like you said before, all of this is happening nearly two months after the Trump supporters seized the Capitol in an attempt to try to overturn the election. That's why the members of the intelligence here in the United States are saying that they will continue to work very hard because they want to try to avoid at all costs that there is another attack like the one we saw back on January 6th. Live in Washington, D.C., Carolina, back to you. And thank you for the live report, Edwin PT. And now, a new jobs report is out. Weekly claims rose to 745,000 as layoffs remain high, with the economy still under pressure from the virus. The economy continues to slowly rebound from the worst of the pandemic, but claims for unemployment benefits remain high by historical standards, a sign of how long it'll take for the job market to fully recover. 
Meanwhile, the Senate will narrow the income eligibility for the next round of these stimulus checks. A Democratic source says President Biden has agreed to the compromise with moderate Democrats that resulted in the change. That means fewer families will get a partial payment. Families who earn more than $160,000 a year and individuals who earn more than $80,000 will get no check at all. The House version of the bill sets the income caps at $200,000 for couples and $100,000 for individuals. In other news from Capitol Hill, on Wednesday, the House voted to pass legislation that focuses on preventing police misconduct. The bill is named in honor of George Floyd. His death last summer sparked protests and calls to halt police brutality. The vote was mostly along party lines. Right now, it is not clear if there is enough backing from the GOP to get it through the Senate. The George Floyd Justice in Policing Act will create a national registry of police misconduct and bans racial and religious profiling by law enforcement at various levels. And the House also passed H.R. 1, a sweeping government ethics and elections bill. Democrats describe it as an anti-corruption legislation that would expand voting access and improve accountability and transparency in Washington. Republicans, however, argue the legislation represents a federal power grab. The bill passed the House during the last Congress after Democrats won back the majority, but it failed to advance in the Republican-controlled Senate. And now we turn to New York, where Governor Andrew Cuomo has made his first public appearance in the wake of sexual harassment allegations. The governor apologizing, but also standing his ground, making it clear that his intentions are to stay on the job. Andrea Linares has more details. I was elected by the people of the state of New York. Uh, I'm not going to resign. Embattled New York Governor Andrew Cuomo vowing to remain in office amid allegations of sexual harassment from two former aides and an unwanted advance from a third woman. I now understand that I acted in a way that made people feel uncomfortable. It was unintentional and I truly and deeply apologize for it. I feel awful about it, and frankly, I am embarrassed by it. Cuomo speaking publicly for the first time since his accusers came forward. He urged New Yorkers to wait for the state attorney general's investigation to be completed before making a final judgment. I never touched anyone inappropriately. However, two accusers say things did get physical. Former aide Lindsay Boylan says the governor gave her an unwanted kiss. And Anna Ruck, who met Cuomo at a wedding reception in 2019, said the governor took her face in his hands and asked to kiss her. The governor denies these claims. To establish sexual harassment, you don't need physical conduct. Comments can be enough, too. Meanwhile, 25-year-old Charlotte Bennett alleges the 63-year-old governor made it clear to her that he wanted to sleep with her. I never knew at the time that I was making anyone feel uncomfortable. However, Deborah Katz, an attorney for Bennett, refutes that claim, saying in a statement, my client reported his sexually harassing behavior immediately to his chief of staff and chief counsel. We are confident that they made him aware of her complaint. 
Some state legislators are still calling for the governor to resign. He's saying that, that nothing inappropriate happened. Uh, if the investigation shows that something inappropriate did happen, I think he would have to re resign. The New York Attorney General is conducting an investigation into all these allegations. The governor says he will cooperate fully. Cuomo is also facing allegations of trying to cover up how many nursing home residents in New York died from COVID-19. He has said his office made a mistake and acknowledged not providing data quick enough. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. Thank you, Andrea, for that report. The president reacting to Texas and Mississippi lifting their mask mandates against the advice of public health officials, those governors striking back while other states take a more gradual approach. Lorraine Cáceres has the latest on the coronavirus pandemic in America. The president striking back with harsh words. I think it's a big mistake. The last thing we need is the Neanderthal thinking that in the meantime, everything's fine. Take off your mask. Forget it. This after states like Texas and Mississippi rescinded their mask mandates. Texas will fully reopen by next Wednesday. I don't know why they're doing it, but it's certainly from a public health standpoint is ill-advised. If you look at right now, the curves of the diminution of infections that are going down, it's reached the point where the last seven days it's plateaued. We've been to this scene before months and months ago when we try to open up the country and open up the economy when certain states did not abide by the guidelines, we had rebounds, which were very troublesome. In other states, the process back to normalcy has been done gradually. In New York, nursing homes are now welcoming visitors again. I'm glad there's no wall. It's been too long. Hopefully soon we'll be able to hug. And in California, the governor is already planning on the reopening of sporting venues, maybe by April. Trusting the downward trend in hospitalizations there will continue and vaccines will be readily available by then. The only constraint of us providing more vaccine to more people in a much quicker and expedited manner and also an equitable manner is manufactured supply. The Biden administration standing firm on its new vaccination goal of having doses available for every adult by the end of May. We got extreme levels of cooperation um, from private sector partners uh, and everybody to say, let's follow the president's pledge, move forward and try to make sure we can get everybody vaccinated as quickly as possible. We are not in a habit of overpromising. And as the push to reopen schools moves forward, the CEO of Johnson & Johnson saying its vaccine will likely be available to children by September. I, I think it's likely to occur right in that timeline. Uh, the good news is, is that the FDA is already working uh, with companies to establish the clear regulatory guidelines uh, so that uh, the appropriate data can be collected. But Dr. Anthony Fauci is warning vaccines will most possibly be available only for older students, since those clinical trials have already been completed. For younger students, the timeline is closer to the end of the year or early 2022. And in Texas and Mississippi, big retailers like Target, CVS, Walgreens, even Macy's, are saying that they're still going to require their customers to wear a mask. But however, HEB and Albertsons are saying that masks will only be required for their employees and for customers, it will just be a recommendation. Back to you, Carolina. 
Thank you, Lorraine, for that live report. And just on that, the decision by Texas Governor Greg Abbott to lift restrictions and the mask mandate in his state comes as Texas is experiencing an increase in infections. In Texas, over 7,000 new cases were reported yesterday alone, roughly the same number as in July of last year when the governor issued that mandate. Now many are questioning the timing of his decision. The Texas Tribune reporting that Abbott's medical advisory team appeared to play a minimal role, writing, quotes, three of the four said on Wednesday that Abbott did not directly consult with them prior to the drastic shift in policy. The fourth said he couldn't say whether the move was a good idea, end of quote. And let's go to Dr. Sushan Gogu. He's a family medicine physician in the Rio Grande Valley region. Thank you for being here, doctor. Thank you so much, Carolina. Thanks for having me. Doctor, great to talk to you today. You're in the middle of this situation. How do you feel about the governor lifting the mask mandates and the other restrictions? Yeah, it's a very disturbing decision that was made by our governor to open all businesses to 100%. But I think more importantly, eliminating the mask mandate, I just think it sets the wrong message to our community um, that this pandemic is slowly over um, and everything can return back to normal, which it's clearly not the case if you look at the data. You know, the data right now, only 7.2% of Texans have been vaccinated. We're still averaging 5,000 cases daily. We have about 5,000 people currently hospitalized with COVID. Um, and if you look at the data, we're ranked 48th um, out of 50 states with the number of people per 100,000 residents uh, that have been completely vaccinated. So it doesn't make any sense when you just look at the data. Is the population in the Rio Grande Valley at higher risk for severe disease or catching the illness? Absolutely. I mean, if you look at the Rio Grande Valley, half a million people across the border live in so-called areas called colonias, which they often lack basic amenities such as water. And then not only that, if you look at, you know, one in three people in the, in the Rio Grande Valley have diabetes, which is a major risk factor for complications from coronavirus. And then if you look at the other fact that one in 10 people in our population are undocumented and often they fear receiving care at hospitals or clinics because of immigration consequences. So they come in later when they have severe disease. And so it just puts a burden on the entire system uh, when we are dealing with these issues in the valley. Now, doctor, there's an increasing number of COVID survivors suffering from long-term effects. Do you think state officials are taking them into consideration? Yeah, you know, I think our politicians are not really looking into long COVID. And long COVID is, is a very serious uh, uh, disease or aspect of coronavirus. You know, 10% of people that test positive for COVID, you know, have this uh, so-called long COVID syndrome that could last almost 12 weeks. And that includes fatigue, loss of smell, shortness of breath, anxiety, depression, GI issues, sleep disturbances, and brain fog. And ultimately, there is an economic cost for the people in the community that they live in and also their families um, that they're in. And doctor, what about the idea that private businesses, for example, Target or other stores will still have a mask mandate? Is that enough? Well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm glad that there are certain businesses that are uh, requiring the mask mandate. I think it's uh, very important that, you know, our local governments and our small business and big business, you know, require the mask mandate. 
But I think it just sets the wrong message to our community when there is not a mask mandate. Um, if you look at the data, you know, just on the chart you just posted, you know, on July 2nd, when the mask order was placed by Governor Abbott, we saw cases actually drop a couple of weeks after that. And then on September 21st, he lifted the restrictions and then we saw cases go back up. And we have spring break coming, you know, in, in a few weeks or in a week or so. And without having this mask mandate, we could expect a surge that's happening. And then not only that, if you look at the variants that are a clear concern because of the resistance of the vaccine, you know, that could also potentially play a role in transmissibility. And if we have more of a transmissibility of the variants, you know, we only create more variants and that can be very devastating. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Gogu, family medicine physician in Texas for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. More of you news after the short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come. Both parties are very far apart. Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. You news covers the news of your world. It makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Unaccompanied minors detained along the U.S.-Mexico border are often held in custody longer than the law allows. That's according to internal Border Patrol documents. They show the average custody time for unaccompanied minors is 77 hours, five hours longer than the legal limit. The recent border officials say they are facing a flood of migrants and unaccompanied minors coming from Mexico. But because of the pandemic, they can only use a little more than half of the beds designated for kids, which means unaccompanied minors have to stay in facilities not intended for children. The number of minors is threatened to overwhelm the capacity to care for them, which is reportedly at 94%. And now for more on the overcrowding issue at detention centers and the challenges presented, we go live to Pedro Rojas in McAllen, Texas. Pedro, what is the latest? Well, yes, let me just set the stage for you so you can understand what's taking place in this area. This is the area where migrant families are released by Border Patrol, and immediately they go through a COVID-19 testing right here in McAllen, Texas. We're just across the street from the bus station now. Reports are coming out of Brownsville, Texas, as well as McAllen, Texas, where health authorities are claiming that some of the families that have tested positive are no longer staying at the hotels where they are in place in quarantine, meaning that these families stay there maybe one night or a couple of nights, and immediately they come back either to bus stations or the airports in the area and leave. There are at least hundreds or maybe dozens of families, according to local authorities, that they have left with COVID-19 positive cases into the United States. And the reason being, according to local authorities, is that they don't have legal court resources to hold them because they are not either citizens of the United States or permanent residents or residents of this locality. So therefore, local authorities cannot hold them. While all of this is happening and the mass release of families continue, also, we have heard that some unaccompanied minors that have been already 
being processed by Border Patrol are being held longer in the detention centers. And the reason being is because of the Health and Human uh, Services Department, Federal Department, does not have room for them and their shelters across the United States. Therefore, these minors are remaining longer inside the detention centers of the Border Patrol after they get apprehended after crossing the border illegally. But coming back here to this location where, where, where we are, as you can see, there are dozens of families are waiting to get tested for COVID. Immediately, if they test positive, they are sent to quarantine hotels that the local humanitarian groups have set out for them. But again, local authorities, local health authorities in this region are stating that some of them are taken off within a day or two after being tested positive, meaning that they are not following the guidelines, no staying in the hotel, uh, fulfilling at least a 10 or 14 days mandatory quarantine because then again, the local authorities are claiming that they have no legal resources to hold them in these hotels. This is happening right here in McAllen, Texas. Now back to you. Thank you, Pedro, for that report. And now leaders of several big American companies are calling on lawmakers to pass legislation allowing DREAMers to become legal U.S. citizens. Dream DREAMers are, were brought to the U.S. as children. The Coalition for the American Dream is made up for more than 100 organizations, including Amazon, GM, and Target. A letter from that group supporting the DREAM Act of 2021 was sent to Senators Wednesday. The reintroduced bill by partisan bill would allow dreamers to apply for permanent resident status and later citizenship. The group also says not passing the DREAM Act could result in a loss of $350 billion in GDP and $90 billion in federal taxes. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.